well, I was trying to do something clever and early and jump the gun, and that didn't work. Um, but we're back, so sorry about that. Uh, I was just getting off the phone with John Gabriel, who's doing like Patriot Boomer radio in Arizona, 9975, um, or whatever. So I figured I would just dive into this while the juices were flowing, and I, I lost my motivation for the night. Uh, it's episode 90. We've done 90 of these. Um, if you can believe it, I can't. Uh, Chinese democracy. Um, there was a lot of news on this front this week with uh, TikTok hiring SKDK, uh, power-breaking PR firm in uh, Washington, D.C. that a lot of journalists have gone to work for, which then, of course, you know, writes favorable stories about clients of SKDK, including Planned Parenthood. And now TikTok, which has a direct line to the White House, as Anita Dunn, its former uh, managing editor and managing executive director of uh, SKDK is also a close personal friend and advisor of President Biden. Um, so again, now you have another CCP story linked to the Biden administration and the president himself uh, and his degenerate son that is any is more closely linked than anything we ever found between Trump and Russia and his son. And of course, we have a media who won't report on this because they too are also bought off by the CCP. Um, so it's a fun incestuous circle that leads us nowhere good. We obviously also saw Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger testify in front of Congress, and much to the chagrin of uh, Democrats uh, demonizing them, trying to discredit their reporting, and uh, asking for their sources, we saw mostly a widespread blackout of journalists defending them after five years of every single insult of Jim Acosta was the end of democracy itself. Very rarely do situations like this come along uh, that are so telling, they're so out in the open where you know that these people are mostly just uh, corrupt. And again, that goes back into uh, doing stories and acting as actors for the Democratic Party and their politics. Um, there were some interesting parts that came out of that testimony, both by Taibbi and Schellenberger. One is apparently uh, never underestimate the stupidity of the people that govern us, especially when it comes to things like knowing what web pages are or knowing who certain journalists are. Uh, I don't expect every member of Congress to know who Barry Weiss is, but I do expect them to be up to speed with their staff. And so we saw several Democrats just kind of uh, show their ass to the world yesterday. And, it, and again, um, it would be funny if it wasn't so fucking dangerous. We also saw Glenn Youngkin last night on CNN Town Hall, which I wrote today in Spectator. And uh, I'm getting a little bit of pushback on it. And my attitude with it is he handled himself fine. It's not like, you know, he walked into any major bear traps, but the whole thing is a bear trap. And I think politicians, especially Republicans, need to learn that CNN needs you a lot more than you need them. So if Glenn Youngkin wants to host a town hall, great. No one's arguing that. Um, have your staff set up a camera with a live YouTube feed, okay? Invite 30 voters in, doesn't matter what they believe, take any questions you want, and put it on YouTube, and you're probably going to get more viewers than primetime CNN on a Thursday night. Obviously, it was hosted by Jay Tapper, um, the last honest man in journalism, and this was another lesson that no Republican should be going on any town hall with Jake Tapper based on his behavior a few years ago in Parkland, Florida. I wrote in my piece that that show trial, which is what it was to pin high school deaths again on Marco Rubio and Dana Lash and the NRA, uh, was put on at the behest of Democratic officials in Florida. They were the ones that reached out to CNN to put this on. 
and people have asked how I know this, and I'm just going to say sources, but I know it indefinitely. I know that this is an absolute fact. And for some reason, if Tapper or anyone else wants to contest me on this, that's when I will pull my receipts. Um, but this was uh, a town hall in Parkland that was put on to uh, effectively place blame away from the school board, Broward County, the high school itself, and the disgraced sheriff. And Jake Tapper just stood by and let it all happen. That should have been the end. If, if you want, if you want to know me personally, that was the end of my relationship with Jake Tapper. Um, not in any professional sense, but if you were anyone who's in conservative media, what have you, um, it, it's kind of famous lore that Jake Tapper will get in your DMs and talk to you and befriend you and, and try to scold you on certain tweets about colleagues. Uh, he doesn't do that anymore with me. Um, so we saw that. Also, we saw Ron DeSantis head to Iowa, and he's there tonight as well, signing copies for his book, speaking to Iowa party leaders. Um, all the writing's on the wall on this one. You don't go to Iowa for a book signing if you don't have some grander plans in mind, and you don't meet with GOP leadership in Iowa, certainly. So uh, it looks like we are getting ready to head full long into silly season here in a few months. And uh, I mean, for someone like me, I know that you normies go through elections and you're like, fuck, we just had one and fuck, whatever. And uh, I'm that way too. But for me, this is, you know, kind of where I get paid and make my bread and butter. So um, I'm going to be strapping myself in and, you know, forcing my eyes open with weird contraptions like Clockwork Orange for the next year and a half, because that's how long it's going to last. So those are just a few events that happened this week. Uh, this was a cuckoo crazy week. And also it was, you listen to my podcast, it was for me personally as well. So it's just been all over the place. Uh, we're just going to jump right in. There's enough topics there for you guys to choose from. Um, as I said, always, uh, we'll, we'll probably just go for about an hour, a little bit over because it is Friday night. I don't want to hold you up. Um, just a couple of ground rules. Again, if, you, if you're if you new here, feel free to jump in the, 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 the queue. I, I take all comers, uh, large and small, bad or good, what have you. Um, but if you do jump into the queue there, just be sure to, to uh, mute your microphone when you're not speaking. It just makes it easier for me, makes it easier for the audience listening, and it also just makes for a better recording. Because, yes, these are recorded. You're going to go down in history. So uh, make your thoughts pithy. Um, and then also just be mindful that there might be people behind you. Um, sometimes we go a little bit longer and it's kind of conversational. Um, so we can't always help that, but it's just kind of uh, to just keep things on track. So... With that, we'll just kind of run the queue here. We have Jack, so Jacqueline, so we have some regulars, it looks like. But as I said, uh, feel free to jump in there if there's anything on your mind uh, of anything that you saw this week, any thoughts you might have, media, politics, culture, uh, film, whatever, whatever, music. We'll do it all. Um, it's Friday night. Let's goof off. Did I connect? Yep, you're there. We didn't lose you. Okay. Okay. Um, first thing was I am still laughing hysterically about the massive freak out over Tucker Carlson showing two minutes of video from January 6th. Um, it's interesting because I don't think a lot of people criticizing it actually watched the segment. They got Media Matters write up of it. Um, I don't, 
I don't think anything Tucker Carlson does on his show is worse than Chuck Schumer calling to have Tucker Carlson removed from the air. And it's, I mean, I don't understand how, you know, you have Tucker who's clearly texted things, one things than he was telling on the air and you kind of have him here. Um, and, and me personally, it doesn't, nothing Tucker shows that has changed my mind, my personal feelings about January 6th, but then you have Chuck Schumer and the Democrats come out and demand that Rupert Murdoch pull him off the air, which ended up resulting in Trump Fox tripling its viewership for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So good job, Chuck. That was a smart thing to do. Um, those of us who've lived kind of through the Rush Limbaugh days, this is kind of how it always went. Harry Reid tried to center Rush Limbaugh on the floor of the Senate. Now, regardless of what you think of Rush Limbaugh or Tucker Carlson, they are private citizens. And when you have a United States congressional body calling for the censor or the censorship of that person, that's a bigger problem than anything Tucker Carlson is putting on the air. You don't have to agree with it. You can think you're being lied to. You can think he's selectively editing. It, it, it might change your mind either way. None of that matters when you have the Senate Majority Leader of the United States Congress calling for him. Yeah, and and the freak out to it, and what he showed was not not that like it wasn't some magic clip that totally destroyed everything about January six. It did show that that DOJ prosecutors lied to the court. But if you're surprised by that, I also have a bridge I will sell you very cheap. Um, and yeah, it was it was two minutes and it's basically the police walking around with this guy. And if you say, well, they were they were going along to keep the situation calm, that's fine. But if you're relying on the police being calm and telling you, you know, we can go here, we can go there, you know, stay with us and you rely on that. I don't think you should be in prison for four plus years for that. I, I know Jonathan Turley is uh, saying and writing that uh, his defense was denied security footage by the prosecution. That's one that I'm watching, obviously. Um, I mean, ultimately, where I stand on this is this. If he's not in that building, he's not in jail and he's not getting put on trial. It's that simple. That's how I feel about every single person, whether they were violent or not, walking through there, taking podiums or smashing windows or getting shot. If you are not in that building when that happens, um, then you're not serving jail time and none of this is happening. And I think that that's an important lesson here that I said, I said a year ago and it happened. And yeah, I'm the, I was the guy first out of the gate said to impeach Trump over it um, because none of that happens without Trump egging that crowd on. That doesn't No, I'm not saying he incited it. You know, he, he, he was very careful in his words, but if you recall, Trump said, you know, we're going to go up to the Capitol and I'll be right there with you. And then he slinked off back to the white house and just let them trash that place. Um, and so none of none of those anything that we're talking about the Capitol, anything with the QAnon shaman, any of them rummaging through desks, whatever. Um, you're not in jail if you're not in that building, and that's to me that's pretty much the beginning and the end of the argument. I mean, if you walk up to the building and the Capitol Police are standing there holding the door open, they say go on in. And I trust them because they're the Capitol Police. It's their job to know these things, and I rely on them. I'd be pissed off because they fucking lied to me. You, the police can't lie lie to you into doing something that's later illegal. I mean, that's the entire 
purpose of entrapment grounds. Except we know that that's not just the case. We know that people, police officers, and busted through the doors as well. Well, yes, yeah, there's some, (laughs) but there's also a lot of video of, you know, grannies walking around in Capitol Police, you know, telling them, oh, yeah, you can go here, you can go there. And so I, I think the idea that there's this freak out over this this footage being released I don't know what's going to be like the final shoe to drop in it is but I found the whole thing funny like showing people more information is a threat to democracy like that's not how this Yeah works. I agree with that I agree that if you're going to release it then release everything um, I think that that's on Carlson as well. I don't care that other journalists were like, gimme, gimme, gimme. No, fuck you. That's not how this works. You guys have, you guys were getting leaked info from Adam Schiff for four years. And there wasn't a single Fox journalist like Jackie Heinrichs going, hey, can you need to share that? And the Washington Post going, okay, here you go, Jackie. Um, I- I'm fully on board with transparency. I'm fine with releasing footage. I don't care that McCarthy gave it to Carlson. I don't care that Carlson aired it. Um, but that doesn't really leave a misconception. And like I said, you know, my theory is, yeah, he's walking around the Capitol and there's five officers around. And I think that this is a matter of perception where you have five officers or whatever, just, you know, yeah, there's a door, there's a door, but you also have to kind of put yourself in the shoes of, they know what's going on outside. They know that the building's being ransacked. And if three or four officers are on top of this one guy and a crowd comes around the corner, what do you think happens? You know, it's not going to go, something's not going to go very well. So the way that I looked at it is this was a way of just saying, look, we got to get these people out of here. We're outnumbered severely. We have our dudes getting the shit kicked out of them outside like the fucking Dark Knight Rises here. So let's try to just keep this calm and we'll clear them out, which is ultimately what happened. It took, what, three, four, five hours to get everyone out of that building and pushed off. I disagree that our democracy was hanging by a thread that day, because if it was, you know, this would have been like, you know, Cambodia and the capital would have fallen and the Kuan and Shaman would be the new military general. Um, all that happened was, I think it showed the strength of our democracy, where you had a mob overrun the capital. They had to interrupt the electoral count and for a few hours, and then they were all ushered out and some arrests were made and they all got them out of there and then they all reconvened. And they certified the election. And to me, that's why I don't I look at it as a bad day. I think that the political right deserves to eat some shit over January 6th. I said, do not hand them this kind of ammo. Um, but I'm, I'm with you in the sense of, yeah, let's see all of the footage then. Let's release it all. Uh, I do believe that the January 6th committee was a political committee that uh, the reason why it was drawn out the way it was was to affect the midterms. Um, and it did ultimately. And so I'm not, I'm under no illusions that the January 6th committee was somewhat politicized. Um, so I don't, again, in, in my opinion, it doesn't really change. Nothing that Tucker Carlson aired really changes my opinion about anything. Um, other than when Chuck Schumer then takes to the floor and calls for Rupert Murdoch to pull him off the air. That's a, that's a greater threat to democracy than what we saw in January. Uh, Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, now because of the Twitter files, we know that, that they've been engaging in censorship in one form or another for a while now. And, you know, they can't they can't go to Twitter and say, hey, pull this clip anymore. So I guess he's just got to do the whole 
New York mobster thing and be like, if you know what's good for you, you'll you'll take him off the air. And to Fox's credit, they basically told him to get fucked. Of course. I mean, Rupert going. Murdoch's not going to go, okay, Chuck, we'll do what you tell us. Rupert Murdoch is very smart, and so is Suzanne Scott. And they see that, and they go, more people are going to tune in tonight to watch the show than they've watched any episode of his. And that's exactly what happened. His, his follow-up show, uh, what was it, the Tuesday night show, like scored three times the ratings over all of CNN's primetime. And that's largely because the Democrats are saying, don't go watch this show, pull him off the air. Well, that's Streisand effect. That means people go, hey, let's go see what the whole hub. Well, yeah, there's that. But, you know, let's be fair. I could live stream getting a prostate exam and probably get more viewers in CNN primetime. So that's that is what it is. Um, But I. I thought that was funny and I haven't been on for a couple of weeks. And so I need to give a big giant heartfelt um, fuck you to Giselle Fetterman because she is the absolute biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. Um, I mean, there were times when my family and friends would have to tell me like, Hey, you know, I know you, you wanted to do this, but like, you can't do it right now. Like treatment's too hard. It's going to be too hard on you. So like shit happens, but no. And she drug a moldering, you know, her husband's the body around his brain wasn't there. I mean, it was, I'm not sure he had a brain to begin with. The stroke just didn't do him any favors. And she drug him around, uh, you know, basically putting him, putting his life on the line so she could be, you know, puffed up in the media and be, you know, the de facto candidate. And so um, just so she knows that I'll never meet her in this life, nor would I want to, but I will see her in hell. Someone had an interesting theory about all of this that I, I don't know if I've come around to it, but I'm willing to entertain it that basically his staff hospitalized him to get him away from her, like an abusive spouse situation. Um, I laughed when I heard that because I actually, I mean, I think everyone around him is to blame for all of this. And I maintain that this still, still is not a story about Giselle Fetterman yet. This is a story about our media being complicit in essentially a cover up to win a Senate seat and going to great lengths to make it look that way. Um, and as I noted, you know, I, I have, I have a not a conspiratorial thought, but I have a position on what we're seeing with him that I'm not quite ready to go all in on. Um, maybe one of these nights when I'm done training and you know I have a half a bottle of fireside in me, maybe then I'll just I'll throw it out there. I'll hint at it by saying, during his campaign, a lot of his videos and photos were done from his loft in Braddock. So, you know, when he do the videos, it me and all of this other stuff, it was never on the campaign trail. We never saw video of him on the campaign trail. They purposely either told journalists, do not film him, or journalists just said, oh, fuck, we can't film him. He looks like shit and sounds like shit. This dude's never going to win. Um, so everything was in a controlled environment. Uh, and he just ran off his Twitter account, basically. Well, when you join the U.S. Senate, you're not in a controlled environment anymore, even if you're just locked up in your office. Uh, you're walking through the halls. 
people are coming up to you and saying, Mr. Fetterman, you're so brave. And he's like, Duh! and he can't understand what they're saying. And so people start to whisper. Uh, and that's congressional staffers. That's congressmen themselves. And when that happens, they start to leak. Um, and it's also, you know, Manu Raju can do his whole act. Like, ah, Mr. Fetterman, ah, ah, and that'll freak him out. And he kills everyone in the hallway. And what I'm going to hint, I mean, I'll hint at it that basically his hospital room is now being treated like he was on the campaign in his loft. We're seeing a controlled information operation where his staff is releasing photos of him looking like he's reading things. We're probably going to get a video of him in the next couple of weeks, similar to the ones of him in his loft. So now he's in a complete controlled environment where they can control the flow of information coming out of that hospital room, just like they could control the flow of information coming out of his loft. And so uh, they know that the only journalists that will see him will be ones that they agree to. They know that they can release videos. We're not going to hear from doctors. They can release photographs. So he is now back in a controlled environment. So I don't think that this is quite a story about Giselle Fetterman yet. Um, obviously, I'm with you. I, I look at this and I'm just like, I my my mouth hits the floor whenever a new thing comes out with her. This week, it, you know, last week it was zip lining while her husband committed himself. This week it's I'm a volunteer firefighter, <laughs> and uh, and while the story Annie Carney's profile came out and talked about his depression, like. It's interesting because Annie Carney wrote this profile like the stroke didn't even happen. It's not even affecting him. He's just there for depression. She's writing about this guy like he's just a normal dude and his stroke doesn't even make a dent in the story. And that's what I mean this is about. To me, John Fetterman is a media story. It's not a story about him and his health or his wife yet until she enters the picture in a role. I saw someone make a joke that says this is going to be the first divorce in history where a Senate seat is a bargaining chip. Um, so I have a theory about what's going on and it's, it's not really super crazy. It's too crazy for me to really throw out there, but basically he's now back in a hundred percent environment where they can control the flow of information. They can control who sees them, who doesn't. Um, we saw that his staff is introducing legislation and the, the media today is like, oh yeah, that's normal. It's normal for staff to co-sponsor a bill without the senator's knowledge. And we saw pushback on that. Noel Rothman, Logan Dobson, who's a, who's a uh, Hill staffer, said this is absolute bullshit. This would never fly in any senator's office I've ever worked in. But they put it out there. And so, yeah, that's as far as much as I'm going to entertain this. But like I said, he he is I, I think there's more to this than depression. And he is now back in a place where his staff controls the narrative and they're controlling who sees him and they're controlling who's writing about him. They're controlling the videos and the photos. Uh, it's not just, you know, CNN's cameras watching him bust down a door uh, in the Senate hall and going, oh shit, we can't show that. And so uh, that's, that's where. I'm well, uh, well I, I will explain a little different because I, I, I do blame her. Because, you know, people involved in politics, they would, they would dig up a loved one's body to uh, perform witchcraft to get an extra two points in the polls. And so when they're doing this, that's what people in politics do. They will do any shameless thing they can. But his wife 
she should have been the one in front as the advocate to pull him aside and say, if we do this, we're going to kill you. We need to stop and, and you need to get healthy. And instead, she was the one dragging him everywhere. And, uh, and you know, she was the one always posting pictures of, oh, I'll make him pose for this picture at every truck stop. And it's like, does he even know where he is? And he, does he know what the fuck that picture is? And so I am uh, more harsh on her because, um, you know, if, if my family did something like that to me when I was in worse shape, you know, first thing I would have done when I got healthy is probably commit an assault or a few assaults. And so uh, it's, it's a different perspective because I've been, you know, I've been in similar positions to him and that we've both been, you know, physically down. Um, I had chemo brain, which makes you forget everything, including at one point, I forgot how to spell my own name when writing something when I was on like the, it's a chemo called the Red Devil. And so you can imagine how fun it is. Um, and so anyway, well, and I will leave everybody with this because I did just get back from Houston a couple days ago and everything is stable. So I'm not dying any faster. Are you getting ready to gear up for a Senate run, Zach? Um, you know, I, I probably should. I would be an upgrade to one of the senators in this state. Um, and I'll let you figure out which one I'm talking about. But um, honestly, probably not because I think I've insulted every person involved in politics in this state to where Work, I, would, for Trump. I would well yeah and, and one of them uh our former governor is running for president um i predict he might get one percent if he's lucky and for those of you who know nothing about him he's basically george w bush with no balls and he will back down anytime there's any type of public outcry on anything. So, one um, percent, if I'm being generous. Uh, Zach, it's good to hear from you. I'm, I'm glad you're uh, you're healthy and staying true. So keep us keep us posted. Oh, I'm gonna bump up. Eric, because I said I would from last week because I had to dump him because we just ran out of time. Eric, go ahead. Since sorry to dump you last week. Sure, sure no, no worries. Uh, just sort of following up on the Fetterman thing, uh, my understanding of the rules in Pennsylvania is that he has to make it through the end of 2024 uh, and or else they're going to have both Senate seats open for the 2024 election. So I wonder how long they're going to, if they, sorry, I wonder if they're prepared to keep them in that hospital for uh, a year and a half. Do you think that, do you really think they couldn't do it with media just going along with this and ignoring it? Of course they could. 
yeah, the, yeah. the problem comes in where um, they they were starting to fret a little bit this week because you had Diane Feinstein admitted for shingles, and they only have a I think a two seat majority, maybe a three seat majority, or no, it was two seat, and so they were like there there was a piece released where I think it was Politico said. Hey, he's fine. We don't need him. You know, we don't need him to vote. We we still have a majority. And, you know, Kamala's there if we need it. So, yeah, dude, have fun. Go go for your walks, whatever. Um, and then Feinstein got admitted for shingles. And that, like, tied it now to where Kamala would have to break any tie. So if, like, something happens to another Democratic senator, they're kind of fucked. And now, of course, Mitch McConnell's in the hospital. Um, and so that's where I think things get dicey. Which is if he can't, and I don't, I don't see a scenario where I guess unless the doctors at Walter Reed are also corrupt, which given what's happening in D.C. doesn't fucking shock me, they let him out of the hospital on a day trip like one flew over the cuckoo's nest to go vote, and then they bring him back and everything's fine. Um, I, I don't see that scenario being acceptable to anyone, but they might try that. Um, but that's what I saw is that they basically are like, Hey, as long as we have the majority dude, go, go take as many medication time breaks as you need, whatever. But if it gets to the point to where he needs to be a tie breaking vote, where it goes 48, 49, whatever, where Kamala can't save them, then, you know, I think that that's when Schumer probably pulls his people aside and, you know, and says, we can't do this. We need someone there who can vote. They, they haven't needed that yet. He doesn't need to go to committee. He doesn't need to do that stuff. He can Apparently, he can co-sponsor bills and nobody asks questions. But when it comes down to these close votes, that's going to be the issue. So your, your thing of, are they going to keep him in the hospital a year and a half? Yeah, they probably will. And no one will ask a single question about it because if you do, you're ableist. And that's... But, uh, and sort of the... I was going to actually touch on with uh, Feinstein. Like, rumor is, is that she's... Um, uh, has dementia and it's sort of interesting the at least to me that like that's like not even a a a seat that's even at risk like they could uh, even if they do have to have a special election down the road like and it's just sort of weird that they're preserving diane feinstein's dignity <laughs> when uh when there might be a uh a scotus nominee that may may or may not, you know, get through if she goes into the hospital for whatever reason. So that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, um, that's a thing that I've been surprised that the media has not been covering since there's basically no risk in sort of putting pressure on Feinstein's camp to get her to, uh, to get her to resign. And, and, that's sort of fascinating. And, I mean, you're 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 nailing the whole argument, which is that's why there's no pressure on Fetterman. Uh, if it comes to that, you're going to start to see media pieces. Maybe it's time to go, and they'll start doing that because they think that they control this. And right now, they're yeah, and um, uh, and uh, I I also was uh, just on a total side note thing, uh, non political, like. Um, I had the uh, 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 I got my Australian Shepherd and uh, and he's uh, let's just say he's uh, I, I wonder if he's doing cocaine at night because he wakes up and uh, is like a, a 
the shot, shot out of the cannon. No, so. that's that's puppyhood. You got to take them out like it. There's a there's a period there for about a month or maybe even two months where you're going to be getting up at two to three to take them outside and pee. And then I don't know if you leave them out or if you put them in the crate or you gate off the kitchen or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's no small. I've I've been casually shopping Doge de Bedos. Uh, French Mastiffs. It's the Turner and Hooch dog. And just because one of my Frenchies getting up in age, the other one is two years behind. So it's kind of, you know, it would be a good time to do it. And I, I want a real dog this time, you know, not like a New York City vanity pet because I'm not in New York City anymore. So I, I kind of want a dog that, you know, I can take with me. Um, and so, yeah, I, but I'm kind of in that mood. Like, do I really want to fucking go through this? Like, do I really want to do the puppy training. It's easier the second and third time you do it. That I will yeah. say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been there and, and, and you, and you got a dog. that's like a farm dog. It's, you know, <laughs> you, you, you know, you're going to need, you need, you're going to need to give it shit to do like at 12 midnight. Exactly. Um, sorry to go back on more serious stuff. Uh, with the um, Ukraine or, uh, you know, like we just had that big, spending package to get like, and there's, you know, all this sort of quasi struggle session each time, like the situa- situation escalates. And um, like a friend of mine uh, as sort of has a theory that, you know, Ukrainians are actually going to start running out of people to throw at the, the Russians. And I'm just, you know, uh, I'm just wondering what you, maybe your thoughts are like on, the media's reaction or what sort of narrative thing that they're going to put forward when it comes time to like to cut a peace deal with the Russians, given that Vladimir Putin has been persona non grata for you know, like the last like seven years, it seems like, because uh, that's going to be pretty interesting to me to see how the media sort of either turns or like does some sort of mental ninja jujitsu to justify Biden giving into the Russians to end the. Uh, I don't see Biden do it. And, and Eric, thank you. And, and good luck with your pop. I'm going to go ahead and boot you so we can start getting through the queue. Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's I'm the, I'm the, I'm the one guy in the entire fucking world that gets paid to do this. And I'm going to flat out tell you, I don't know what happens in Ukraine. I I'm, what I what I can tell you is if the next president is a Republican, I don't think that this piecemeal shit is going to continue for very much longer. And I don't think the American people are going to allow this to continue very much longer. Um, I, I do see an argument where it's like, holy shit, we just got out of Afghanistan and now we're in a never ending war. That to me is what looks like Ukraine is. It looks like one of these things is going to go on for years and years and years until Putin dies or Zelensky dies or Biden dies or we all die. Um, And I don't think the voting public has the stomach for that. I think, I think Americans are very generous with just causes. And and to a certain extent, I do, I do believe kicking Vladimir Putin's ass is a just cause one way or the other, if we're the ones doing it or someone else is doing it. But we've also seen how this turns on us. We see how a country like Ukraine, which is financially corrupt in every sector, wherever, um, could turn on us like Afghanistan did. And I know I'm not suggesting that in 20 years, uh, Ukrainian terrorists are going to fly airplanes into buildings, but we don't know. And so 
I just, I don't see a taste for this going on for years and years and years. And that's just kind of my opinion. Where this goes, I genuinely don't know. It doesn't look like Biden's going to cave on the F-16s. And that to me is interesting because it's this, we're going to stay in this as long as you need us. And Zelensky goes, we need, we need F-16s. And Biden goes, well, we're not doing that because then you're going to fly into Moscow and now you have a war with NATO and that's us. So, uh, Eric, thank you. I, I just I don't know where this goes. I do know that I don't think there's an appetite to see this go on for years and years. Hey, Stephen, how's it going? Uh, I've had a week. That's that's kind of how it's going. So I'm just I'm trying to, like, just fly by the seat of my pants and go casual. There's also Todd on Todd McClear on Twitter just sent me a photo of a French Mastiff saying they're awesome. He's eight months old and he looks like he weighs 350. Yeah, Mastiffs are good dogs, real dogs. Yeah, I grew up with them. I grew up with three Mastiffs. So, um, and then you get a French Bulldog and that's all a French Mastiff is. It's a a 400 pound French Bulldog when you really get down to it, other than the ears. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. God, I don't, I don't know if I want slobber all over my nice furniture, but I'm, I'm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't. You can never. Can never go wrong with that. Um, so, uh, real quick before I dive into my point, I'm sorry to hear about your car. Um, I had a similar situation <laughs> because you have a you. You have um, an Explorer, right? A Ford Explorer, and it's like 2013. So, so here's just just to let everyone in on my car buying adventures. I lived in Brooklyn, New York for 10 years. Or, well, about 11 years. Obviously, you don't need a. You really don't. It, that's one of the cliches about New York. You really don't need a car. You you take a subway, or if you are going to dinner, or whatever like that, you get in an Uber or a taxi, and that's that's literally it. That's you. You only need a car to get out of the city, which is fine. Um, I, I moved out of Brooklyn uh, shortly uh, around the pandemic, uh, so I'm not. I need. I, I'm. A, I'm out more. Not a rural, but I'm just in a more spread out area. And so I had to buy a car, so I bought a 2011 Ford just because I I have bad luck with vehicles, so I wanted something that I could beat up, or if it got beat up, I, it wouldn't, you know, break my heart. And so I got a t- 2011 Ford Explorer, and I had it for about a year, but eight months in, I had to replace the brakes. And so I was like, okay, well, it's older, whatever. And the dealer is a friend of the family of a friend, so th- they know who, you know, they know, and they gave me a discount and whatever, so... Uh, a few months later, I, I was looking at their inventory. Just I was just surfing their site, and they had a 2013 Ford, and it was affordable. And I was like, okay, uh, so that's happened. So I traded the, the 2011 in for the 2013, and I was like, yeah, this is great, and it's it has some fun features on it, whatever. It's a limited, and it's fully has everything in it. And I, I've had it for nine months, and within two weeks of driving it off the lot, I got a check engine light that stayed on all the time. Um, and then, yeah, like around Christmas, I started getting this rattling sound that just got progressively worse and worse to the point to where it sounded like I was like dragging RoboCop under the car. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so for the two weeks it went in for a recall then for a part, and then it turns out the transmission shot and yeah, it's, I had it nine months. So, um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, that's, that's my car talk. Uh, but that's kind of the situation for so I had uh, so the reason I asked is because I, I remember you were talking about the year uh, with it. I had a 2014 Ford Focus um, several years back, and it has. So, so you had the lady years. car. I did. I did have the lady car. They don't make them anymore, probably because of me. 
um, you know, I, I identify how I wish. Um, so the transmission, I had to send that back. And actually, you know what, hang on, let me back up. The lady Ford cars, the Ford Fiesta, the, the Ford Focus is the beta male car. Um, but the, um, with the Ford, with the Ford Focus, I had to take it back into the shop. I want to say about like three times it was under warranty each time, but because of the transmission and you're right, like anytime I would accelerate, it felt like I was running over five dead bodies anytime I would accelerate. And it was actually revealed to me because eventually I just said, you know what? I think this thing's probably a lemon. I'm going to sell it. I investigated, um, or I, I, I did eventually pursue not like lemon law because I had had it for a couple of years. So lemon law was no longer applicable, but whatever the other legal term is for lemon law. Um, and basically what it was revealed to me during that time was the transmissions on, um, focuses like, and I think also explorers and other Ford vehicles made between 2013 and I think 2016, the transmissions on them, it was explained to me was that they were, they were imported and they were made in Europe and they were imported into America. So basically these cars were utilizing European made transmissions that on a European version of the car would work perfectly, but because they spliced it into the American cars, the, or the Fords that are made here in America, it just fucked them up. And um, Ford was actually involved in a pretty big lawsuit in regards to it, just because I, you know, eventually received letters of, you know, like, you may be entitled to a certain cash settlement because of the Ford transmission lawsuit. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to start off by asking, um, like, just to confirm the year of it, because I think that is the problem with it, is that it probably has one of those shitty transmissions that was imported from Europe where it doesn't work with the car. <laughs> Uh, maybe, probably, uh, I'm waiting to hear back from the dealer, but they said probably this weekend. So, um, I have a few that I'm looking at and I don't think the dealer is like shady. I mean, he's a good, they're, they're a family owner, good down to group guys. Um, you know, and so I'm, I have, I have four that I'm looking at and if the room wants to weigh in, uh, I, I'm looking at a 2017 Porsche Cayenne GTS. Got it. I'm looking at the 2018 Porsche Macan, but that's a base. I'm looking at a 2017 Mercedes-Benz GLE Coupe. It's like the big monster half sedan Mercedes. And I'm looking at a 2013 Lexus LX570, which is a big SUV. I like the Lexus, but the interior is all cream, and I fucking hate that. So it's funny because I said this when I got the Ford. Like, I do take the fact that I make money off of all of you into... Uh, into account where I don't want to be the televangelist, you know, driving around in a solid gold car and, you know, like Charlie Kirk and everyone's just like, oh, that's what we're paying for. Huh? Um, but they're all pretty good deals. I mean, they all run a risk. Um, but those are the four that I'm looking at. I'm I'm severely I need to test drive them, but I'm leaning towards the Cayenne. So we'll Jesus, see this man a, a month. A month on Substack, and you're already Adam Baldwin's character. <laughs> no, so, no. Here's the thing. No, no, no. See, here's the thing. This is this is the, this car's been there since I got the Ford nine months ago when I was on Patreon, and I considered getting it then. Uh, I'm not Mister Moneybags. I'm not. That's not what it is. But um, I, I do. I do have the down if I want it, and the the payment, and I can in the insurance. So it's it's something that I can afford. It's just 
do I want to pay for the upkeep? And, you know, when you're getting a, when you're getting a Porsche with 70,000 miles on it, it's like, ah, shit, you know? So if I did it, it would just be, you know, to head off me falling headlong into my midlife crisis. So uh, it's, it's not like the fancy one. It's, it's still the hatchback. It's still kind of the mom car uh, of the Porsches. So we'll see, but you know, I, I like the Lexus. I just don't like the color. Uh, the Mercedes is like affordable. That's high mileage too. That's why it's, you know, it, it, it's under 50 K. So it's like, all right. Um, but, on, but on the other hand, you know, I grew up blue, generally blue collar, not upper, upper class, middle class, and come from a family where you get something reliable. You don't get one of those. And now I'm at that point where I'm like, fuck that. I'm, I want one of those, you know, like, so we'll see. It's not, don't, it's not like pulling off the lot in the Batmobile here. <laughs> These are all still used cars with, you know, severe risks. So we'll see. But, um, yeah, yeah, one month on Substack and then Scrooge McDuck rolling in it. No, I'm not. Um, I'm actually still around where I was on Patreon as far, you know, like whatever, just to kind of be honest and with it. Um, but Substack is growing. That's, that's one thing I've noticed. I've noticed there is, there is more growth happening than I was at Patreon. So we'll see. I, I might end up like, you know, Dirk Diggler with his broken down Corvette here. Nice. Well, uh, real quick with my point, and then I'll uh, turn it over to everyone else. Um, I just wanted to make a quick point about the Sanus. Um, Just with uh, with everything that has been going on uh, this week, um, it's amazing just how much has happened between, you know, now and last Sunday when Larry Hogan announced that he wasn't running and all 15 people at the dispatch, you know, just cried into their brunch meals. Um, And, you know, because he got the hint. I think that also with... um, with Youngkin, um, with his uh, whole appearance last night on CNN. Um, I think he, I, I really don't think he jumps into the presidential race. There was recently a poll in Virginia that you, shows even with Youngkin on the ballot, DeSantis wins. You said you think that you, um, you thought Youngkin might jump in and you don't think he will now? No, 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 no. I never thought he was going to jump in. He He always, he kind of always just struck me as, he would get a job in a DeSantis administration, I think like secretary of education or something like that. He never struck me as really like really as presidential material for 2024. I think that I think that he is smart enough to know where the winds are blowing within the GOP primary electorate. I never I never um, viewed I mean, I, I heard this argument today that the reason Youngkin did go on CNN was to kind of test the waters for this. And I don't, I mean, I don't see much movement with him. You don't, the thing you learn with presidential candidates is usually where there's smoke, there's fire. And whether that's Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or Chris Sununu or someone like that or Asia Hutchinson or whatever, you know, those stories are out there for a reason. It's people putting them out there to see what the reaction is. But you haven't really heard a lot with Youngkin. So I did hear that today that this was possibly, you know, get out there and see, you know, see what the reaction is for him. But uh, I kind of view him as someone who it, it just, he might miss a window. Like that's, that's all there is to it because he's governor now. Um, it, it doesn't look like the political winds would be with him right now, presidentially, um, because I, I firmly believe they're blowing in one of two directions uh, and that's it. Um, yeah. And if he misses that window, let's say, let's say, Biden's reelected. Let, let's, for instance, let's say Biden wins or whoever, if it's Kamala and Biden's dead or whatever. Um, 
you're not, now you're looking at 2028. Well, Youngkin has been out of office for two years. And so that's similar to like Nikki Haley, where two years is an eternity to not be in the spotlight. And we're seeing that with her. And so I look at this and say, it just doesn't look like, I think he could be, I think he could be a strong candidate. He could be kind of this, ah, shucks, nice guy who also just kind of has his people hammer you behind the scenes. But I, I don't see the timing lining up is the problem. And so he might decide, look, it's now or it's never. Um, and who knows what happens else in the race. But I, I do think he could be formidable. Um, any To me, most governors that win in a blue state are, unless you're Larry Hogan and you just implement blue policies. Um, but I, I don't, that's kind of how I view this. I, I, I look at this and I say, I wasn't disfavorable to anything that he said on CNN. It's just, if you're going to go the route of being that guy, you're not going to get a foothold in any GOP primary. Well, exactly. And that ties into the main point that I wanted to make, which is, why is it, why is it that DeSantis's team, Christina Pushall, um, Jeremy Redburn, and um, who's, who's the other guy, Brian Griffin, I think, um, why are they the only people in the entire Republican apparatus, spokespeople, press secretaries, etc., that have a clue? as to interacting with the media, as to how to one-up the media. Why is it just them? And that's, I think, like my, my biggest frustration, and I think also why so many people are putting their eggs into DeSantis' basket for uh, you know, other obvious reasons, because it's like he, uh, him and his people appear to be the only people in the Republican Party that are actually playing chess. Everyone else is playing checkers or tic-tac-toe. They are not at the same level as him. And I think that that is actually one of the, like forget, forget Rona McDaniel for a second at the RNC. This is something that needs to be, I think, infiltrated at every single level of the apparatus of the Republican Party. We need to have people who are media savvy, who actually have their wits about them when they do this. And not, you know, people like this fucking state senator from I don't even remember where who agreed to do an interview with John Stewart about guns and drag queens. And of course, it got turned around against him. The, the, the media illiteracy of people on the right is just absolutely staggering to me. And I think that's like apart from, you know, the GOP needing to address its own internal issues over there. That has to be one of the other biggest long-term projects that the party has to undertake. Uh, you're right about a lot of that. Um, I, a good example, and I think I raised this on a, a prior call in, is when this whole thing went down with Nikki Haley and Don Lamont. How many of Nikki Haley's people did you see on Twitter, like, pushing back at this? You didn't see any. Like, it was just her. And... I think that that was kind of telling because you are right that DeSantis's people have a presence with these things. And no, you're not running your campaign on Twitter, although it worked for Senator Fetterman. Um, but you do have to have a presence there because things happen quick and they happen live. And if you if you're not on top of things, things can spiral out of control, which is what we've seen. And so, no, you're not prioritizing it. Um, but the thing that his people do well is they, they post when a Washington post journalist is like, Hey, I'm reaching out for comment. They go, no. And they post it. And they say, this is how you fucking treat these people. 
Um, and you, you're right that you don't see anyone else doing this. And I think that, you know, the one thing I think has to happen is if he runs or it looks like he's going to run, he has to win. It's similar to a Super Bowl. And then it gets copied. Then you'll get Republican governors and senators and state le- saying, you know, when a Washington Post reporter comes sniffing around, you just go, get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> like who cares? Um, so I think that that's part of it. We just saw Michael Calderon from Vanity Fair, who's kind of like a slimmer Brian Stelter type in appearance and attitude, say, is this strategy of DeSantis only talking in his bubble going to work? You know, you're going to have to talk to us eventually. No, we don't. Because we know what you're doing. We know exactly what you're doing. And that's really how DeSantis got the attention that he got. When he tried to get lit up by a 60 Minutes reporter over vaccinations, he lit her up and people went, holy shit, where has that been? You know, this kind of goes back to Newt Gingrich in 2012 on the debate stage where uh, he did that kind of act and everyone cheered. And there's a reason why everyone fucking cheers when that happens. And of course, it doesn't go anywhere. So you nominate Mitt. And then they did nominate the guy who goes, you know, you're fake news and all of this other stuff and slaps them around. And so you do have another version of that. You have an evolution of what Trump was. And so you're right. And I I agree with you. There should be media literacy. The other part of it, I think, is they're just young. These are people who came up on social media, Redfern and Peshaw, and, you know, they, they've been around the block. They know how social media works. They know the motivations of these people. You're not hiring a consultant from D.C. who's going to go and leak to Politico or Punchbowl uh, on every single thing that you're trying to do. And so I, I agree with you that it, it, it's interesting that there aren't more consultants, and especially if you're in a presidential campaign, if I'm Nikki Haley's team, I'm like, I want three people whose only job is to do exactly what those three people do for DeSantis. And you didn't see it. And so I kind of shrug and it may work and it may not work. I don't know. Um, But there's a reason why he is catering the kind of attention he is. And it doesn't have to do with just him. It has to do with an apparatus. He kind of threw shade tonight uh, in Iowa. And he said, you know, if you look at Florida, there's not a lot of palace intrigue. We just execute our jobs. And that, to me, that's a shot at Trump. And that's a shot also at, you know, White Houses that leak. And so that's something that's going to come into play. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good talking with you, Stephen. Good luck with the car search. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how dumb and bold I'm willing to be with this. So we'll find out. All right. Good stuff. Cheers, Joe. We'll get through Jacqueline, Andrew, Courtney, and Alex, and then uh, we'll call it a night. Jacqueline, go ahead. Sorry to bail on you last night. Hey, how's it going? I'm okay. Uh, it's it was it was a week. It was a weird week. I said on the podcast, like it. I, I did a lot of work this week, but it didn't feel like I did. Just how the schedule fell, and I thought like when I recorded on Tuesday or Wednesday night. I thought I, I could get used to this where I, I spend the day or the night recording the, the next episode for tomorrow and then I can kind of like sleep in. I don't know. Um, so it just got weird how I put out a podcast for a day that didn't happen. And so it was just it was a little bit of a weird week. How was yours? Pretty good. And um, I know we had car talk with Stephen earlier today and um I don't know how much you look at the people that aren't the founding I'm, members. I'm not, we're not Toyota. I'm not. 
if if I'm going to do something this time, I'm going to do something that's kind of fun and that I want to. I believe. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I don't have great luck with cars, so I'm hesitant to, like, put too much into something. Um, I'm, I shit you not, I, I was looking at a Carmen Gia that I was going to have to drive back from Los Angeles. Like, that's kind of where my head is at this time. So... But yeah, cause I know um, Dave told you to get the uh, Porsche Cayenne. He said that he has one and he's loved it. And um, uh, Bo told me to tell you to drive that Explorer into the river and just <laughs> charge money for it. So, <laughs> well, no, the dealer has it. So that was the whole brouhaha. I took it to actual Ford flagship dealer to repair the the recall on it, which they did. But then that's when it started, the transmission started to go in the last two weeks, like really, really go. Like I barely made it to that dealer. And so then they had it for a week and a half. And then they, they let me know this week to go pick it up and they were going to repair it. And the total bill was $6,800 for the, the, the recall. Well, not the recall, but the check engine light was a part of the catalytic converter and then the, the transmission. And so I'm not obviously going to do that. If, if that's what I'm going to do, I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to, you know, I'll put this down or I'll finance a new one, whatever. And so that's when I was working with the dealer who they, they're nice. And they're like, yeah, this sucks. We'll figure something out. And so then I had to get it over to them. And so they have it now. And so someone was asking like, sorry for the cost. And I haven't, I had to pay for a diagnostic and a tow and I have AAA. So I'm doing okay right now. It's not like, you know, I had to give up a dog or a kidney um, it's just a question of, do I want to fix this or do I want to get something else? And as I said, even if it was cheaper to fix, I don't believe in driving a car that you personally hate. And so that's just kind of where I would be with it. And it just, it wasn't. And you mentioning picking up, possibly picking up a car from California. Um, I was in California last week and I didn't even know. While I was in Sacramento, that Gavin Newsom wasn't there the entire time I was in Sacramento until I was sitting in the airport to fly back to Florida when I saw your tweet about it. And I was like, oh, he's been gone the entire time? Yeah, isn't that interesting where a a United States senator who has nothing to fuck in Texas and he's in Cancun. Uh, it's a, it's a four day news cycle, um, of why aren't you helping your constituents, sir? They're dying and it's cold. And here you have the governor who during the middle of a snowstorm that buried half of his state, he decides to get the fuck out of Dodge and we barely hear about it. Um, it's, it's just par for the course. That's just what they do. Um, I can guarantee you that should he decide to maybe mount a presidential run, there are people that. Yeah, and, and that's it. I'll let you go to the next one because I know it's running late. But um, yeah, I just want to let you know, like, even when I was in Sacramento, in the city that he was supposed to be in, I didn't hear about it until you tweeted about it at like. I don't know, nine o'clock or something Pacific time when I was sitting in the airport for my flight back to Florida. And I was like, oh, he's been gone the entire time. I haven't heard a word about it. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I think Gavin is someone that they're, 
they're trying to protect, and I also think that there's kind of the meme with they thought Pete Buttigieg was kind of one of their saviors, and now he's hit a severe rough patch, and now they're kind of eyeing other options possibly, and I do think Newsom is that. I saw someone in comments saying, not an older car and not a car in California. So I, I found a Carmen G. It's a Volkswagen Carmen G, which is Mike Myers' hipster car from So I Married an Axe Murderer. Uh, I've talked to David Burge, Iowa Hawk blog. He always gets my car questions. Um, and he's like, yeah, you know, if it's affordable, whatever. And uh, the one that I like was in, uh, it's in Beverly Hills. So I probably wouldn't have them ship that. I would probably fly out and look at it and then buy it. But I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, I was looking at that even when I had my Ford, like, because, you know, I could afford a second payment if I had to. Um, but that's, again, as I'm looking, to, you know, I'm, I see the uh, headlong of a midlife crisis coming up. I'm like, ah, you know, why not? So um, anyway, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going well, to look for something that I think is nicer, uh, dependable-ish. It's just it's a, it depends on if I go with a, you know, a, a sport brand like a Porsche or whatever like that. Do I do I really really want to pay the upkeep? Because yeah, no, the, the Porsche Cayennes have great reputations, but it's still four hundred dollars to change the oil. <laughs> it's like, do I really want to do that? And so that's kind of where my head is. So we'll see. Well, I, I will say that you already have our money, so fuck everybody. <laughs> get the Porsche if you want to. So I do. Like... I do have. I do have the founders' money. And I do have whenever someone signs. You have up, my so, money. I have the annual subscription, so you have right. my money. So, but this is, <laughs> but no. So I mean, to, for, so for people to understand how Substack works, I, I can't approach it the same way as Patreon. So this is why you know I'm not like Scrooge McDuck right now, which is with Patreon. It's usually a monthly payout, no matter what it was. Uh, on the first, it rolls over, and then it takes a couple of days, and then it's like, woohoo, I got paid, whatever. Different uh, Substack because if you're a founder. I've already gotten your founding money. And if you're yearly, I only get that once a year. So right now I'm counting monthly subscribers as a month to month thing to actually calculate what the income is. And it's, it, it can be a little overwhelming if you're not focused on it. And I'm, I'm looking at subscriberships and whatever. And because also or Substack offers free subbers, I have to give those people a reason to, to sign up. Uh, I'll say now, I mean, my metrics are good. Uh, like I said, the, the move over was very good uh, as far as getting suburbs over to where I wasn't going to have to like eat one of my dogs. And so uh, it's, it's about the same as Patreon, whatever. Um, but you have to be careful because it can be deceptive where um, even with yearlies, it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is a lot. And well, it's not really because I don't get paid for those until again, a year from now. So it's, it's a little stressful on that end. And, and I still owe like 10 people refunds, uh, which is what I'm waiting on for, for the service that Substack uses. So no, I'm not, I'm not looking at like a nicer car because I'm making more. <laughs> uh, I was, I, I, I had my eye on this guy and I talked to the dealer about it. I was like, why is that car still there? Like, because that's weird. And he went into the story about it. So I'm like, okay. And what's funny is, is I just looked at the Carfax for it and he just serviced it two days ago. So he thinks he's probably going to pawn it off on me, um, but I'm not doing anything until I test drive like four cars. So uh, you're right. I do have your money and I appreciate it. 
but it's it's not the same. You know, I'm not Matt Iglesias rolling around in, you know, six figures quite yet. Um, or, you know, like some of these writers, because uh, Substack, you know, move writers over. They, you know, they paid up front. And I didn't get that from Substack. They helped facilitate my move. Um, but they didn't like, I, Substack didn't pay me anything to move that I, I had to do it all on my own and it was stressful, but it was successful. And for the most part, it's going well. So, but yes, thank, thank you for your founding memberships. All right. Have a good weekend. And I think we'll see you tomorrow, but, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your evening. All right, Jack. Yeah. If I, if I don't do a podcast, I'm going to try to be back here tomorrow earlier. So like, you know, whatever. So he just joined monthly. So. Uh, he can hold it over my head. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing is, that's the one thing about this is I have to kind of keep dancing for it. Stop making content for you journalist people, then that's it. Andrew, thanks for waiting. We'll wrap up. I saw Courtney drop. If she jumps back up, I'll go ahead and take her. So Courtney, if you can jump back up. But Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm I'm with you as far as, okay, fine. You have the January 6th footage released. I mean, if if anything... <laughs> Those writers deserve to be in jail just because of the unforced error and just because of the club they've given the left the last two years. And then the other unforced error with Mitch being able to remove Trump from office. I mean, you think two years later, do you think we would still have the same number of MAGA people that are MAGA only if Trump had been removed from office two years ago? I don't think so. But on the other hand, you've got a lot of these folks on the commentariat right who, and I've been hearing it on the commentary podcast, especially, who just still clutch their pearls over January 6th. And on that end, I get upset with them, too, because it's like, guys, you didn't really think that Donald Trump was going to be that big of a threat to stay in office. And the rioters, you didn't really think that Donald Trump was going to somehow force his way back into office. So there's just pearl clutching on both ends that have allowed the left to use this as a club for the last two years. And I'm probably regurgitating a lot of the stuff that you've been saying, but isn't it just much ado about nothing? I think we're still talking about this because the media wants to talk about it heading into 2024. I think that that's it. I think that they know Trump isn't going to shut up about it. Uh, and they're counting on Trump, not shutting up about it. We saw them do this strategy in 2022 where we're going to elevate uh, MAGA candidates like Carrie Lake, who is going to act as fucking crazy as he is, should she lose. And she did. And she is. Um, and they're counting on this. And I guess I look at this and I say, that's one thing with like Tucker's. It's fine to air this footage. I don't care. Um, but the mass majority of media and the political left is begging and salivating at a Donald Trump nomination because they know he's not going to stay focused on the future. Oh, I, he's not going to stay focused on where we're going. I the, left the press and debate moderator is going to look right at him and go, Mr. Trump, do you still think that you were rightfully elected? And there you go. And we're off and running. And there's almost nothing more that pisses me off than when the political right falls for a media trap, which is why I wrote about Glenn Youngkin today, or a democratic trap, which is what this is. We saw them do it. They're telling you what they're going to do. They boosted Mastriano in Pennsylvania. They boosted Lake. They boosted, you know, January 6th candidates and election truth or 20, whatever you want to call them. 
they did it right in front of your faces and they all fucking lost. So those people should realize, oh, that's the game. Okay, well, we're not going to play this game. And instead, they look more than willing to play that fucking game. And so I, I have given up ever since 2016 when I was at National Review and we got the shit kicked out of us. Uh, which, you know, all of us said at the time, that's probably going to happen. Even if he wins, you still have to stand up and go, no, this is a bad idea. Uh, I've given up, one, trying to convince them of anything. And two, I'm also under no illusion that Trump can't walk back into that Oval Office. And if he does, you know, if it's, you know, the same thing, he's going to say, I get a third term now. And then what do we do? It's, it's sort of like deja vu all over again. And the people participating in kind of this January 6th dialogue and the, the 2020 election are doing so at the behest of the media that wants nothing more than Donald Trump to be that nominee. And that's another thing I kind of think about DeSantis is on that first debate, and, and I'll let you, I'll let everyone in this room kind of know, I've heard a rumor from reliable source that the RNC is looking at CNN for a primary debate slot. And you know that when that happens, debate moderator Jake Tapper and Liz Cheney, let's face it, they'll do some shit like that. You're going to have four candidates, five candidates on that stage, and it'll be Trump and DeSantis and Nikki Haley and maybe, um, I don't know, Chris Sununu and maybe Tim Scott or whatever. And the very first question is going to be a question for each of you. Do you think that the 2020 election was stolen? And Trump is going to do his thing for 13 and a half minutes about Dominion and about Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell might be on that stage, too, while you're at it. Um, and I think that there's one person who's going to stay, who's going to look at the debate moderator and go, we know what you're fucking trying to do. The people aren't interested in hearing about the last election. We're looking forward to this election. We're looking forward at the issues that are affecting this now. We're not going to let you do what we know you're trying to do. And there's only right now, to me, one person who I know for sure that we're yeah, and I don't want to be totally unsympathetic to to people who are MAGA only. I think they're wrong, but you know, but you'll have and like in the last couple of days, you've had Matt Continetti on the commentary podcast, kind of winking to the camera when he says, "Well, you know, the the MAGA right they just they just don't like people with graduate degrees." I'm like, did did your father in law put you up to saying that on the podcast? I mean, yes, I get the January six people are were complete morons for for this unforced error, but you know you're really not helping by being part of the you know Chris Christie, Larry Hogan, fat ass wing of you know, Republican supporters um, by saying stuff like that. I mean, what's the upside to doing that? Too from from the you know from the uh, from the commentary on the right. I guess I just don't like both sides. Um, I think, I, I, I think Matthew Continenti is one of the smartest guys on the right. And I don't think he's full on where, you know, bulwark and dispatch have gone. I Continenti could kind of fit in a dispatch, uh, but you're right. This, this sneering down your nose at people, um, regardless of, you know, one of the things that bothers me, and if if we're going to look at being sympathetic to January 6th, here's one of the things that bothers me, is that there were two there were two groups of people that day. There was Trump's rally, 
which obviously was held uh, in in parallel with the, the certification vote. That was all done on purpose. And the whole goal was to basically, I don't want to say intimidate, but to convince Mike Pence to enact something he had no constitutional authority to enact. I would read Charles Cook on this. And you have people then who went off and stormed the Capitol. And again, if you walked into that building, I don't care if you just went in willfully or whatever, um, I don't really care about kind of what happens to you legally. Then you had the people who just went and assembled to listen to Trump speak. And you're seeing a grouping in of the people who just were on the mall to hear him speak and then went home. Those people who just, we heard him speak and were out. Yeah, I'm, I'm ramped up. And then they got in their car and they went home or they went back to their hotel and the people who stormed the Capitol. And there is nothing wrong with anyone who basically showed up to hear Trump speak that day. And that, to me, is a blurred line that you're seeing what you talk about in the commentary at right, which is, well, if you even just showed up for that speech, you were a January sixer. No, you weren't. You're just you're a private citizen exercising your First Amendment rights to you know peacefully assemble. And that's how the media and that's how the political left is using this as a weapon to bludgeon every single person on the political right. And, and like I said, part of it's deserved. Like, you're going to eat shit over January 6th. Um, and then there's part of it that isn't. And I find it maddening that there's not a lot of nuance of this on the commentary to the right. There's people who I think are. There's Andy McCarty. There's Dan McLaughlin. Um, but then you do have the people who are like, no, you're all degenerates. Well, keep calling us degenerates because we will vote him in again. Yeah, I, I, your strategy that you mentioned with DeSantis saying to debate. Oh, I, I didn't no, say that. I didn't say it was him. Game. Just go ahead, though. I'm joking. Well, no, 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 no. But with, I wish both the MAGA right and the commentariat right would look at the media's uh, use of January 6th as the club and say, no, we're not playing that game. We're going to move past it. Even if we, within our own, within the larger camp of the right, the larger tent of the right, don't really like each other that much. Why? Why can't why can't they practice that wholesale strategy that you're suggesting that that particular candidate might do on a debate? Because Trump isn't disciplined enough to do it. It's that simple. Like, and I said this, like Trump really possibly could run on a see, I told you so platform. He could run on a look at the first three years of my presidency. We had no foreign conflicts. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he's on Twitter yelling at Kim Jong-un at 4 a.m., but whatever. Um, he had no real foreign conflicts. The economy was the best it had been in 40 fucking years in this country. Everything was humming along, and then coronavirus happened, and that, you know, a black swan event, a hundred-year-old, you know, a hundred-year pandemic happens and knocks him out of office. And he could genuinely run on that, and I think he could probably be fairly successful with it. But he's not that guy. And you know, it's that joke. Today's the day that he became president. That's not who Trump is. Trump, I, I wrote the piece at Spectator. Like, does he even know why he's running again? Like, if I, if I had to sit him down and just say to him and say, sir, do you even know why you're running again? Well, he's doing it because he's bored. He's doing it because he thinks he actually won. He's doing it out of revenge. Uh, he's doing it now because of Ron DeSanctimonious. And, and all of the shit, but none of that has to do with the betterment of the country. None of that has to do. And I think if people look at this and say, this is just Trump's revenge tour, like, it's not going to work. It, it might work to get him past the GOP nomination, but I don't think it's going to work then. 
Um, because if it becomes only about his revenge, people are going to go, we're not going through January 6th again. There's no fucking way we're doing this again. The thing with that is that's exactly what our media is counting on. And it's exactly what Joe Biden and his people are counting on. hundred percent. So I'm with you. I look at it and say, why would you on the political right be dumb enough to do this again? So again, if I'm acting Trump campaign advisor, the other one, that's how I look at this. I'm like, you, you could run on semblance of a record and say, you know, hey, miss me yet? And hey, see, I told you so. And hey, let's do this. Let's fix this mistake that we all made with Joe Biden. But he's not going to do that. No one, there's no one who actually believes that's what he's going to do. Uh, because if if you basically just say, yay, hey, Joe Biden won on Twitter, you know, even your mentions are filled with 100,000, 100 follower bots. So that's not the strategy this time. The strategy is, like you said, it's CPAC. It's a retribution. It's a revenge. He treats this as kind of like, you have to understand where Trump is and where he came from in the 80s and the 90s. This is a guy who was into wrestling. He was into prize fighting and boxing. You know, that's the thing. If you grew up, if you came of age in the 80s, Trump was front and center at every Mike Tyson fight. That's how I think he views this. This is about me. This is about me winning my title back. Well, it's not your title. It's the fucking country and it affects every single person that lives here. So your personal revenge tour isn't, I don't think going to cut it. It might cut it through the Republican primary, but once you get there, I don't think it's going to sell. And there's a lot of people invested in making sure it doesn't sell. Well, before I go on a lighter note, um, you know, a while back you had mentioned uh, favorite film scores, and I did get a copy of the expanded edition of Legends of the Fall. There you go. And it has become probably my second favorite James Horn. What's your first? Uh, surprisingly, The Land Before Time. Oh, that's an interesting one. <laughs> I was expecting like Mighty Joe Young or something off of. Yeah, I, I need to get back into that stuff. Like I said, as I was coming of age in film school, Back in the days when we still just kind of on the cusp of CDs, burning CDs and cassettes, um, I, I just compiled all of my favorite film scores because I used to write screenplays to them. And yeah, I mean, to this day, the Legend of the Fall score is still probably my favorite. Like if you took it, and it's that film is still actually one of my favorites, not the great of acting in it. It's Brad Pitt's really rough in it still. He's he's younger. Um but just the story of, you know, like you said, like mythology and legends and things of how it's handled. Um, but yeah, the, the, the score for that film is just absolutely incredible. Um, I haven't heard the expanded, so I'm going to, I'm going to probably go look that up on Spotify. Um, but yeah, James Horner was, he, he had a run there in the nineties and into the two thousands. That's, and he, and he never won an Oscar. He, he won for Titanic. And I think that that was it. But he had scores from films where it's just like, holy fuck, like he did Braveheart, um, he did Willow, he did uh, a few of those where it was just like, um, he, yeah, he, he did Apollo 13. And he, I think he did, I think Horner did all of Ron Howard's films as well. And then he obviously did Cameron's for Titanic and Cameron's um, Aliens a few of those. Well. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah, he did James Cameron's Aliens, which has that great pounding theme at the end. Um, and so he's just, he, and he did Star Trek and he's just so versatile. Jerry Goldsmith did the actual Star Trek theme, but I think Horner did the first film. 
Um, and he was just so versatile where he can kind of go from aliens to uh, haunting with Titanic and then doing kind of uh, this Native American style with Legends of the Fall. Um, but yeah, this I mean, it's a topic I could go off on from hours. I've, I've really fallen off of film scores and it's kind of my falling off with films the last few years where I don't, uh, when I hear a score that's really good, I recognize it. And most of the time now, just with the way films are, it, it's now you, now you have to, now you have to come up with the latest cool Marvel theme, which the Avengers score was good. Like that was one that you do recognize. Um, but that's kind of where all the entire film industry is, where if you're a recognized film composer, um, you need to come up with a good Marvel movie score. So, Andrew, thank you. That's that's a fun one. That's one that we could do an entire episode on. Alex, if you can, I'm going to move Courtney up because I saw that she dropped off. But Courtney, go ahead. Thanks for waiting. Um, first, I was going to ask if KHOW counts as Boomer Patriot Radio. Is what what does count as Boomer Patriot Radio? If KHOW. Oh, in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Is my knowledge of KHOW? I haven't. Um, I was on KHOW a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, I was on a segment after you. Oh, Ryan. were you? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, KHOW definitely KOA. Uh, there's parts of KOA that even count as Boomer Talk Radio, but yes, KHOW definitely is. It still six thirty out there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely Boomer. It's it is. <laughs> I just had I was laughing at that because I was on it like a segment after you on that and i was like wait but you've done <laughs> but, um, yes at least at and, least back in you know the heydays of you know listening to in dad's car yes khow is definitely boomer patriot radio it might not be full patriot but it's and surprisingly i also grew up driving really cheap crappy cars and somehow ended up with a mercedes and it has been shockingly really cheap to repair and super reliable, which is blows my mind because I only drove Hondas like for my entire life. But this has been the easiest, cheapest car I've ever had. I've had zero problems and I got a higher mileage used one. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a car person at all. Yeah. I mean, my always thing with getting like a car like that is I'm going to be afraid to drive it and, and run it into a wall or something. And I mean, I, I, like I said, I have four here that when I go back to the dealer and we talk about, I'm like, these are the four I want to try. And it, um, it's funny because I just saw the one that I'm looking at on the road and it's like, it's a, it's a combination of an SUV and a coupe. So it, it looks like a giant Buick in a way. And um, yeah, I'm kind of at that point where I might have to pay more and it obviously when it's used, you're risking more. But yeah, this is kind of what I'm hearing from people on like the Porsche and Mercedes, which is, yeah, they're nicer and, and they're more expensive, but they don't break down as much. And so um, what's funny is with the four that I'm looking at, there's a plus and a minus to every single one of them. So like the the, two, the 2017 Benz uh, GLE Coupe has like 70,000 miles on it, but the service record's pretty clean. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm looking at all these cars where every single one of them could work out or it could end up costing me a kidney or whatever. So the other one they have is they have a 2019 Range Rover Velar black on the exterior, black on the interior. 
and I'm tempted. I, I've read so much about Range Rovers now, but the last three weeks, and they just, it sounds like they're just, they sound like the Windows 98 of SUVs. And so um, I, I'm tempted to drive it because they look so fucking cool, but I don't want like the electronics to go out a month into it. And so that's, that's where I'm at. But yeah, I mean, I either haven't driven for most of my life or uh, I've driven just kind of affordable cars. One of the things is I've mentioned is I like mid-century modern furniture. So I'm always looking out for used and deals. So I want a, the ability to like haul that shit. Um, and so that's, that's my one drawback with like doing a smaller SUV. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's the boat I'm in. I I'm in that kind of, I always drove like affordable vehicles that, you know, whatever. And now I'm kind of like, you know what, just if I'm at this point, fuck it, I, I'm going to get the sporty. I kind of did the same. I'm supposed to be getting a Rivian, but I paid for that like three years ago and it's yet to be delivered. Plus I don't even want the stupid electric car now, but anyways, that this is all side note. I really was asking if um, you had watched Sirota's launched his lever site and he has been covering today the um, bank collapse. And I just thought, obviously it's Rota and he does go after Democrats and he made my life a living hell when I worked for um, one of the senators from Colorado, but his coverage has been very interesting and he is tying it to some Obama treasury decisions and I mean, he's also throwing plenty of Senate Republicans under the bus because it was a Senate banking bill that deregulated some of this. But um, he's been really loud lately, um, standing up for J.D. Vance. And it's just interesting to watch how Lever is kind of taking I, I think and I, and I was I saw a segment and I completely forget where I watched this um, and who this was. But I think there is a lot to the idea that this isn't left versus right anymore. This is, I think it's elitism versus populism, which isn't all, it's, that's not also a healthy place to be, which is why you find, you know, weird allies like David, you know, Sirota in some of this stuff, or you find Glenn Greenwald as an ally in some of this stuff, or um, a lot of this stuff. I don't, I don't think this is left versus right. If we go through another fucking bank run, in another collapse, th this is going to be one of those where you're going to see like the Proud Boys and Antifa in the streets, both pushing a guillotine. And that's kind of where I think where we're at. And that's why a lot of the stuff seems weird where it's like, holy shit, here's a guy that's a Bernie Sanders. And here, here you have a lot of people on the right uh, agreeing with him. I, I've seen more people on the right today over the Silicon Valley bank thing, just screaming that there better not be a fucking bailout for this bank than I, I've ever seen. And that kind of reminds me again of Ukraine, which is people who used to be like kind of gung ho and pro war, just kind of like, no, we're, we've lost our taste for this. And I think a lot of that goes back to just how burned that the political right feels by George W. Bush. I'm not quite there. Um, I, I'm not as much as a, uh, you know, table pounding neocon bomb everybody that I was back then. Um, but that's, I think that a lot of that traces back to the Bush years, which is no more endless foreign conflicts and no, we're not bailing these assholes out again, period. Um, because one, it costs them, you know, they, they think that it costs them eight to 10 years of elections. Um, and I think that that has a lot to do with it. 
Um, it's also the nature of who, the, you know, who they lost elections to. And no, I'm not talking about a skin color. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the time we're in right now uh, makes for really strange bedfellows. There's also there was also a populist string to Donald Trump in 2016. It's how he won union workers in, you know, the Midwest. And so th- there are these issues where it's just not cut and dry anymore. People see me fraternizing with people like Zed Jelani now and and whatever. And it's not because of they they became more conservative or or you became more liberal. It's that there is a, there is a place where these heads are all meeting on issues of media and government and uh, elitism versus populism. And I think that that's where we're at. It's not, it is not red versus blue, right versus left anymore. And I don't think that the older, you know, Andrew mentioned the older commentariat. I don't think that they understand that. I don't think that, you know, anyone writing for the Atlantic right now really understands that. And that's that has more to do with why they feel so out of touch than it has to do with, you know, David French at The New York Times. It just has to do with you're not in the moment that. Yeah, I totally agree. If you had asked me when I worked for Wayne Allard when he was on banking um, or when I was a credit union lobbyist after that, that I'd be agreeing with David Sirota's, um bank coverage right now, I would have just laughed in your face but it's just really fascinating to watch and i've enjoyed watching some of his coverage which again is shocking for me to say but anyways thanks so much for being here i'll get thanks courtney and uh thanks for thanks for waiting back there uh real last she's a regular as long as you know she's not in the uh the tanning bed again but alex thanks for I think Alex is in uh, Australia, so we might have lost him. There's, did you guys see this thing where like the beaches are getting flooded with sea foam and snakes? Like the only reason Australia exists is to kill people. <laughs> you, you, you need to go. You need you need to go Google that one. It, this is like the most Australia thing ever. Where. Like there's just all of this waist high sea foam and it's like filled with poisonous sea snakes. Uh, I'm going to dump Alex. Alex, if you jump back up, let me know, but we'll end with. Uh, and- Welcome. You got in just under the wire. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I did. Sorry about that. I didn't get the notification. So um, I have no idea what you guys have been talking about for the past hour, except reading your little thingy. Um, I jumped in when you were talking about the cars. So you know, I'm a BMW driver. This is my third or fourth BMW. I drove, um, I had a Mercedes before that, before I got on a BMW. And all of my BMWs I've bought used. And I've had some horror stories. But I've, like, learned the sweet spot to get into these luxury cars used. And... I heard you say it's a 2017 GLE. How many miles did you say is on? Let it? me see. I I have the tab here because I'm I'm I keep <laughs> going between them. Okay. Uh, let me see. That's it is a it's a 2017 Benz GLE AMG GLE 43. Okay, it's, it's an it AMG. Has, it has, it has seventy thousand miles. And, and it's an AMG. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. Seventy thousand miles—that that's like a big red light for the AMGs. 
because it's the same thing with BMW for all the M's and then for the Mercedes with the AMG, you're going to have just a little bit more issues with those souped up engines than you would for the regular ones. And the whole thing with these cars is after 50,000 miles, that's usually when everyone trades them back in because that's when the warranties run out and shit right. starts going wrong. So just be prepared. Be prepared no, that's, for that. Yeah, I mean, all of these are around... Uh, all of these that I'm looking at are around that mileage. So like the 2018 Macan is 56 and the Cayenne is about 70 and the Mercedes is 70. Uh, let's see, the Lexus is I'm looking at. So, yeah, I mean, they're all 70,000. So... Um, what trim is the Cayenne? Uh, it's a it's a GTS. Okay, so, so I think wow. Okay, so that's like one of Porsche has like ten or twelve like trims, and I know um, I think the GTS is like the higher end one. So so I, I like, would go with so, the Cayenne, yeah, but I'm not a I Porsche like, fan. I like the Macan's shape better, but yeah, it's one of those coupy SUVs. Yeah, it's smaller though, so I'm just kind of like, eh. so I mean, honestly, I'm also one of those. I have to, I have to. Uh, oh shit, what did I do? Um, Andrea, jump back up. Kathy, I'm gonna dump you. I apologize. Uh, Andrea was gonna be our last caller, so hold on. Let's do this again. Yep. Sorry. I have, I have old man brain, It's okay. Um, but no, I'm really one of those. I need to see it in person and look at it and then drive it and then go, okay, that's it. Like, so I mean, yeah. they have two others. They have like, you know, they have a couple of Lexuses there and one, I don't like, it looks like a mom wagon, but who knows? So, um, well, I was just going to say, well, I, I don't see you as a GLE driver. I mean, I live like in soccer mom Mecca area and they all, all all drive like the GLS. That's weird because it's a big car. It's like it's like a James Bond tank is what it looks like. Yeah, it is. It's a big fucking car. So I don't I don't understand how like a soccer mom would drive this thing. So that's honestly uh, when I'm looking at the shape. And then I saw one on the road and I'm like, oh my God, that thing's like I want to put monster tires on it. Like that's how kind of like big it is. <laughs> so and you know it has nothing to do with kind of like I'm looking for a luxury car because I'm making Substack money. No, no it's I, just yeah, like, I know. I'm kind of I'm looking at their inventory plus you know what what I can finance and whatever and and I'm just kind of like they have they have a they have a 2018 Ford Explorer that's right in my sweet spot and I'm like I'm not fucking getting that car like it's literally yeah. the mileage the year the financing what you know what i can do and i'm just like i'm still not going to get that fucking car so i'm looking at all of these and i'm still even considering the goddamn range rover which i feel no, like no don't I do would, that don't i feel like they i would are regret notorious. it no they are but you... so that's the thing is so i've looked at threads i've looked at reddit threads i've looked at car threads and it's majority don't fucking do this but then there's always that story where it's like i haven't had a problem with mine i don't know what the big deal is and i'm like i could have that uh... one that's the one I would have. Yeah, every yeah, that's what everyone says before they get into a used Range Rover, and they're like, "Oh God." Um, There's only 30,000 yeah. 30, miles on the Velar, so it's the lowest mileage. Yeah, and that's not like the big daddy like Range Rover, Range Rover. Those are the ones that are notorious for everything breaking. The Velar is a smaller one, and I haven't heard of many issues with those. And if it only has 30,000 miles, I mean, that's definitely something, 
even if it did have issues, you're not going to have major, major, major issues until you get to like 70,000 plus, you know, miles. Yeah. It's also, it's also the most expensive of them all, of course. So yeah, that's what I mean. I'm, 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 I'm like looking at four or five different cars and there's, great things and then there's always like one have thing you driven in there any? Have you driven no that's what i'm probably doing tomorrow is they're going to get back to me on you know what they're what what the deal is with the ford and what they can do on trade-in i'm going to get a good deal because they know they kind of fucked me with this car so um yeah, that's probably I what i'm looking you're at probably gonna like the way the cayenne drives and you're probably going to like that gle since it's an amg so it's going to have like all the sports suspension and all that kind of stuff it's going to yeah. be a lot more fun to drive than the Explorer. But hey, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Talk. I'm not like a fun driver, though. I'm kind of like you know. I'm not one of these you guys might, where I look at it as fun. If I wanted to be fun, though. I would go get the Carmen Gia. But um, no, you might be converted though. Once you get behind the wheel, you might be converted. Yeah, yeah I'm sure that's <laughs> okay. How it so goes. I, I have a real quick like off-topic question because um, I really haven't heard you talk about it, but maybe you did a while back and I just missed it. But I just wanted to get your opinion on the Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie because I've seen your one tweet about Austin Butler's performance. But what did you think of the movie? Are you an Elvis fan? Were you before? Were you not? Like, uh, I'm yeah. knowledgeable about Elvis's stuff. I wouldn't say that I'm a huge fan. Um, the first half, I hated, and then the second half I really liked. So it's one of those few movies. It's funny because it's Baz Luhrmann, and that was always the thing that turned me off. But then I was like, of course Baz Luhrmann does Elvis, because that whole second part of Elvis's career is Baz Luhrmann. The whole Vegas act of yeah. Elvis's career is Baz Luhrmann. So that's why I was like, well, that obviously makes sense. And so I thought that that would match up really well. What What I thought was funny is the first half of the movie – is like all Baz Luhrmann. It's the zooms, it's the crazy editing, it's the noise, mm-hmm. it's all of the flashy things that comes with Baz Luhrmann that make you kind of tune out of the film. And then right at the comeback special, from that point on, it's weird because Baz Luhrmann really disappears and it becomes, yeah, it, it it becomes a movie. It becomes an actual yeah. movie. And it's almost like Baz Luhrmann just said, I'm going to take a back seat to the Vegas stuff. It was really against type. Um, and as well as that, it's that comeback special where you're like, Austin Butler just became Elvis. Like, that's the part of the movie where he becomes that guy, where you actually see it. And, uh-huh. you know, he was always kind of baby-faced and too tanned for me to actually pull off the role he didn't have enough kind of fat in his cheeks kind of thing. Um, but it was, it it was that, it was that from the comeback special on is where he really embodies the role. And you actually, it's like they worked harder to make you think like he was a more serious artist in the Vegas years, which is counterculture to what everyone thinks about Elvis. They always thought he was more serious in the fifties. Yeah. Like he became a joke in his later years. Right. So, and that's, and then he became kind of a punchline. He became a Vegas act. But it's almost like the film takes that part of his bio more seriously. Now, you don't really learn anything about him. It, it, it whitewashes, <laughs> pardon the pun, it whitewashes a lot of stuff between him and Priscilla Presley because Priscilla Presley was a consultant on the film and they knew, you know, we have to treat this well. We want to honor yeah. him. 
And it doesn't really go into just like how fucking crazy and paranoid he really actually was in his final years. There's some of it. There's a couple of scenes. Um, but they still try to show it like he was in control and whatever. Um, the other thing I thought was odd was having Colonel Colonel Parker be the narrator of Elvis's story because he's an unreliable narrator. That I thought right. was an interesting creative choice, even if it's Tom Hanks. Um, he, you know, the Colonel was a con man, so anything he's telling the audience, you kind of have to doubt. And the movie didn't treat him that way; it treated him as like a reliable narrator about this is how this all happened. Um, it, I liked how it went into the fact of, you know, cur- you know, the colonel's whole philosophy is you don't exist without me, period, and I don't exist without you. And mm-hmm. so it shows you how they kind of have this doomed symbiotic relationship. I also like thought a codependent Hanks- relationship. Right. Yeah. And I also thought Tom Hanks was just completely distracting in the role. Like he, he kind of, he's in the fat suit, kind of like Danny DeVito and Batman. So it's, it's him, <laughs> but it's not him. And he actually overshadows a lot of the proceedings when, if he doesn't, then, you know, Butler runs away with it. What I will say is this is one of the biggest star-creating roles I've seen from an actor in a while. Uh, I I said that he should win Best Actor, and then I said he won't. I think he's going to win it, um, especially with Lisa Marie Presley dying. Like, that was just, like, the last... Cast him? Like, you what? don't think Austin Butler... You don't think he'll have trouble in future roles... Getting no. out no. from beyond. No, and I'll tell you why. No. no, because I'll tell you why. So, if you've seen his previous work, it, he was the he was the um, Manson disciple in yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, if Tarantino was going to cast him in a role like that, where he's unrecognizable and he has, you know, he he looks scuzzed up and whatever. He knows how to disappear into a role. The The closest thing I would compare Austin Butler to is Brad Pitt. So, except mm-hmm. Brad Pitt didn't really have a role that happened. But if you look at Austin Butler's career and whatever, he's going to be a guy to me that takes grittier roles. He's not going to fall into the romantic Elvis lead. I think he's a I think he's a guy that is smart enough to, because of the Tarantino roles, and I think it was Tarantino who recommended him to Baz Luhrmann and said, you need to go and look at this guy. Like he's a supporting character in this yeah. movie, but you know, he leaves just that one scene at the end where uh, he gets attacked by the pit bull leaves an impression on you. And so, I mean, maybe, but I think he's a really good actor and I don't think he's going to fall into that trap. So as far as Elvis is concerned, it could end up winning best. It could be that movie that sneaks in there and it wins Baz Luhrmann director and best at picture. I don't think so, but um, it, it was it was a weird movie for Baz Luhrmann because the part of the movie that should not have been all Baz Luhrmann up with the the, the zoom fake you know the zoom pans and the mm-hmm. the grittiness and then, then the glamour and then whatever it turns out that that's what he put the most emphasis on and then the part of the movie that should have been the most Baz Luhrmanny wasn't like he really it's crazy because you can actually see it he just totally takes a step back. And just kind of lets Las Vegas do its thing around Elvis. And so I thought that that was fascinating. And there's not many films where I feel that way about where it's the first half is hard and it's not that good. And I was kind of like, fuck, if this is where, like, if this is for two and a half hours, this is going to suck. And then right at the comeback special, they turn it on and you can actually, you actually feel that where when he's doing, you know, lost in a cloud in the white suit that whole performance was Austin Butler 
paired with Elvis's vocals. So he's actually singing it and they just paired it up. And you can actually uh. see that he fucking gives a shit in that role. And then, and that's when I was like, okay, he's turned it on here. And I thought for the most part, it's a good movie, but I think it's, it's probably the biggest star making performance that I've seen in a while where you're just like, this dude's, this dude just got like rocketed to an A-list performer. Like that's yeah, it. And, see, and then I, I didn't like it that, the first time. I'm sorry. No. And then I said he should, he should win the Oscar. And I mean, maybe he doesn't, but because they look at it, he's too young or whatever, but he should for just pure who he is, what he did with the movie. It's really Are hard. Are minorities up for best actor? Right. <laughs> Because, I mean, you know, Oscar's but so white. That's it's, the old, it's really that's... hard to pull off an, a character like Elvis and not be bad. And he wasn't bad. And I think he was better than uh, what's-his-name did with Freddie Mercury. And so if that's the guy you're going to give it to, I think you have to give it to Austin Butler. So um, yeah. the movie, I would put it about like a C plus. The performance of him, an A. Um, I don't know. I'm not a Baz Luhrmann fan, so I'm kind of like, please don't win Best Neither Oscar. am I. I didn't want to watch it. My mom is the one who's like, you got to watch it. you got to watch it. It's so good. And I went into it like I'm a Walk the Line fan because yeah. I watched like a biopic, a musical biopic. That's kind of like, you know, my, I guess my base for like what a good biopic is because I love to Walk the Line. I think and what's funny about so that I, is yeah. he, Joaquin Phoenix was nominated the same year as Jamie Foxx was for Ray Charles. And Jamie Foxx didn't play the piano or sing. He lip synced and they, it was camera work. It was, it was a double. And then Joaquin Phoenix actually sang and played the guitar. And it was Jamie Foxx who won. I think I always thought that was interesting. So, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So, anyways, the first time I saw Elvis, I was like, I, th- I didn't like it. I thought Austin Butler did great. But I thought the movie, I just didn't like, it was just, it was like what I thought Boss Lumber was going to be like, jumping around all over the place, just you know, not linear storytelling or it's just too much like visual. It's like visual overload. Sometimes I'm in the mood for that. Sometimes I'm not. So I was like, eh, but then I watched it again and like, I picked up on things I missed and now I really love it. I think it's awesome. And I'm not a big Elvis fan either, but it kind of like gave me an appreciation for his music and stuff, but I haven't heard you talk really about much about the movie. So I just wanted to get your opinion on it. Yeah, a decent film. It's not. It's not my the worst Boz Lerman pick. Um, but I, I think it's a fascinating study just for his direction. And mm-hmm. and like I said, it's it's one of those movies where it, it has it doesn't have a very good, almost laughable first act. And then when you hit the comeback special, from then on, it's a great film. And I kind of was just like, that's how the that's how the first half of it should have been. Um, but they were they were they were out to like show him in a in a positive light. So they showed that he wasn't stealing black music; he was honoring it. And then they show like, no, he wasn't dating an underage teenage girl. They they, they were just getting <sighs> to know each other. And then it was you know, no, he wasn't a paranoid schizophrenic on drugs. At the end of his life, he he just had episodes and. Um, I, I'm a fan of just being, of just showing what the truth of a person is. And I think it kind of fails in that, but, um, I still do think. So now Austin, you're leaning more towards Austin will get the, the trophy. You think so? It depends on, and I didn't see who won, but it depends on who won the screen actors guild for best actor. I guess I can look that up while we're, while we still have it. Um, I thought he did win the Golden Globe and the SAG. Yeah, yeah the the Golden Globe doesn't hold much weight on the on the Oscars. The SAG awards do, 
Um, so generally, whoever wins, like ten out of nine out of ten times, whoever wins the uh, SAG award wins the Oscar. And uh, it was Brendan Fraser who won for the whale. So oh, okay, um, well, yeah, that's another one that I I know I will hate that movie. Because it just <laughs> sounds like torture. Yeah, that's a, that's an but entirely, I have heard entirely, is. Yeah, that's an entirely different amazing. other discussion. But so odds are, right. yeah, but I mean, it's not it's not always exact. But odds are, whoever wins the SAG award wins the Oscar, and that was Brendan Fraser. So we'll see. I'm, I, yeah, I don't cool. watch I don't watch that show anymore. I'm busy on Sunday nights now, and uh, I'll I'll tune in on Monday to see who wins and whatever, and we'll go from there. Maybe we'll do an Oscar yeah. wrap up. We'll see if anyone gets okay. punched this year. So. Okay, well, cool. Thank. Let us know what happens with the car. So you're going tomorrow or Monday, you said? Uh, I'm supposed to go this weekend to go test drive and find out what the deal is. So we'll see. Okay, awesome. Okay, right. thanks, Steven. Cheers, Andrew. Okay, thanks. fine. Uh, sorry to boot uh, a couple of you. We're just kind of running on. We're running on almost two hours here. So, uh, again, this was a fun one. I like kind of jumping all over the map. I know it's not always the most interesting, but uh, some good callers, some good questions, some good topics. Um, this this was just an incredible week in media narratives and everything. So uh, we covered a lot. So again, thank you to my callers. Thanks you guys for uh, listening in, drop, tuning in here. Again, I know we've kind of fallen off a little bit, but you guys still keep versus media up towards the top on on Colin, which is always great to see. Um, I I'm gonna try to maybe record an episode tomorrow on Substack. That's tentative right now. Um, if not, I'll be back there Tuesday. We have a call in uh, early next week as well. So again, thanks everyone. 